0: Today I'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 3. I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory.
1: Glad to see everybody here today and appreciate the opportunity I have to present part of God's word to you. Thank Grayson for that reading. And we're not going to cover all of those verses this morning, we're going to cover verses one through six for the most part. Um, But I wanted to read all those verses because contextually, they go together uh, in what I've entitled this parenthetical mystery that we find in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. As Paul begins um, in this letter, we're going to find that he breaks off from his what he was going to start to write, and he talks about something else, and we'll get to that in just a minute. As we've talked about in the past, the book of Ephesians is a letter written to the church at Ephesus, and not addressing any specific sin or problem that they have there, but rather... It's a, a book about Christianity. It's a book about theology and our response to what God has done for us. We've read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 several times, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So chapters 1 through 3, we read about the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ and what God has done for us, the links that he's gone to, the power that he has directed toward us in order to make us his. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So what is our response to what God has done for us? In part 1, we talked about some of those blessings and how we are supposed to bless God for the blessings or praise God for the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. They're spiritual blessings and specifically found in Christ that is the combined work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The reason for that is that we would be holy and blameless in God to the praise of his glory and that all things would be gathered in Christ. In part two, we talked about this prayer that Paul has for the church at Ephesus, how that they will have a spirit of wisdom and understanding in the knowledge of God. They would be enlightened to God's word. That he wanted them to know the hope to which they were called. They wanted, he wanted them to know that their value to God as his inheritance and the immeasurable power that God had directed towards them in Jesus Christ. The power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, exalted him to his right hand, and made him, gave him authority over all things and made him head of the church. In part three, we talked about the spiritual death that we're in when we're in sin, when we're walking in the course of the world after the course of Satan, and how that is a spiritual death, but God has raised us to spiritual life in Christ. Uh, through his, the riches of his mercy and his love, we've been raised as he has raised and exalted Christ, he's raised and exalted us with him. And then we're saved by grace through faith. It's undeserved, but we have salvation anyway because God has raised us with Christ. In part four, we talked about how the fact that we, and he's specifically talking to Gentiles at this point, they were separated and alienated and strangers and without hope, but they've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And how Christ is our peace, how the Christ made peace between Jew and Gentile, and he made peace between God and mankind. And how we've all been brought together into the household or family of God. And this is particularly important this morning. Uh, I want to highlight this, the household of God that he's talked about at the end of chapter two, that's very important to what he's going to be talking about all through chapter three. Uh, the, the, we're part of this family, That's built. this household that's built on this strong foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And we're going to come back and touch on that some more as we go through our sermon today. I've entitled this A Parenthetical Mystery, and I've done that because he talks about this mystery of Christ, which is not a mystery to you and I, um, but he does so parenthetically, which means he's, he begins by saying one thing in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 3, and he breaks off and he starts to talk about something else. So he says in verse 1, For this reason... I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and then he breaks off, and he starts to talk about something else, and he doesn't pick this up again. So for for 12 verses, he talks about something besides what he was originally going to talk about, and we know that because he comes back to the same phrase, for this reason, here in chapter, in verse 14, he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So whatever the reason was, and we are going to talk about that, he wanted to, To bow before the Father in prayer, but he breaks off that thought and he talks about something else for 12 verses. And that is for this week and the next time, we're going to talk about those 12 verses and what he's talking about in that parenthetical statement. And so I want want to highlight that because it's important to be able to understand what Paul's saying. Uh, If you're familiar at all with Paul's writings, he does this all the time. Um, sometimes it's, it's not as long as this, but this is a, literally a 12-verse parenthetical statement <laughs> that we, that we want to go through and make sure we understand that and why he decided to break off and talk about that. So let's talk about this reason, for this reason that he talks about and why he decided to break off. For this reason, and the reason is found in the previous chapter, chapter 2 at the end, relating to this household of God that I mentioned was very important. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God. That's the reason. The fact that Jew and Gentile have been brought together into the household of God, the fact that we are now fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, this household that is built on this foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. Then immediately He says, For this reason, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, on behalf of you Gentiles. Then he breaks off. So he's praying this concept of the household of God, this concept of of Jew and Gentile coming together into the family of God. That's why he said, I want to bow my knees to the Father and pray. And we're going to get to that prayer eventually. But first, we need to decide why he decided to break off here. And I think the reason for that is found. In the latter half of the first verse, which is when he says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul was a prisoner in Rome at this time. And as we consider that, I don't know whether or not all of his audience knew that. Maybe some of them did know he was a prisoner. Maybe some didn't. This is the first time in Ephesians he's mentioned the fact that he's a prisoner. But I want to notice how he phrases this I was a prisoner of Jesus Christ and as sort of a a rabbit trail, if you will, Paul didn't say, I'm a prisoner of the Roman Empire, or I'm a prisoner because the Jews put me here. He said, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I submit to you this morning that even were Paul not in prison writing this letter, he would have still considered himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. But this might have hit some of them hard, and it might have specifically hit them hard when he says, on behalf of you Gentiles, So the Apostle Paul, this great man of God, this man who's taught us so much, who's risked so much of his own life, he's now in prison. And that's bad enough, but what he's saying here is, I'm in prison because of you. Because of you Gentiles, I'm in prison. And I think that that caused him to break off and to say, you know what, this might discourage some people. I might say this, that I'm a prisoner because of you, and I need to explain myself a little bit here. You know, Paul was a prisoner because of the Gentiles. We read in Acts chapter 21, this is sort of the beginning of the end, if you will, of Paul, Paul's ministry because this is the point at which he was taken by the Jews and he be- began to be questioned by the Romans, gone through the system as he made his way from Jerusalem to Rome. This is where that begins. And in verse 27 of Acts 21, it says, When seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people, against the law in this place. The place he's talking about is the temple. So here's Paul. He's just returned to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. Uh, we remember the, the tearful farewell that he has with the elders of the church at Ephesus, which is very much related to the book we're talking about, obviously. And he leaves them. He goes to Jerusalem. He's now in Jerusalem. He's in the temple, and he's teaching, and he's As these Jews from Asia, which would be Asia Minor, um, they're crying out against him. And he said, hey, this is the guy, help us, this is the guy. He's teaching against the people, that's the Jews. He's teaching against the law, the law of Moses. And he's teaching against this place, the temple. And you know, that's what all the other apostles were doing too. Peter, John, James, all those other guys, they were teaching Jesus. And they were doing it in the temple. And they were, according to the Jews, teaching against everything they believed in. But here's the real kicker with Paul. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. In the minds of these Jews, at least, Paul compounded this whole concept of Christianity, the the defilement of that with bringing, bringing Greeks into the temple, Gentiles. And so Paul was arrested because of that. So he is very much the apostle of the Gentiles. As Jesus said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles Paul is very much in prison because of Gentiles. That's not necessarily the whole reason, but that's definitely a big part of it. And so as Paul's writing this, you know, it's sort of at at the risk of spoiling the ending, if you will, we're going to skip down to verse 13 and listen to what he says. So, in other words, because of everything that we just talked about in these last 11 verses or 12 verses, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Some of these people may have been shocked and stunned and maybe discouraged by the fact that Paul was in prison because of them. And what he's telling them is, don't go there. I'm not telling you this so you'll be discouraged. I'm telling you this because it's to your glory. And the opposite of being discouraged, you should be encouraged and you should be praising God for this. You know, this word, this phrase, assuming that, that's often translated just as the word If and he says assuming that or if you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you i almost feel like there's a, another parenthetical statement that's nested in this i don't want to make it too complicated but if you'll indulge me for a bit and allow me to paraphrase a, a few of these verses together verse beginning in verse 1 it might sound something like this i paul am a prisoner of christ jesus on your behalf but assuming you have heard of or understand the stewardship of god's grace that was given to me for you I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. And he's gonna dig into the details of this, but I think this, in a nutshell, is why he's broken off. That he's just mentioned, I'm a prisoner on your behalf, but please don't lose heart. If you understand my stewardship, if you understand what's been given to me on your behalf, you won't lose heart. You'll be encouraged. And he's gonna spend these next 11 or 12 verses talking about just that and explaining to them why they should not be discouraged. And he starts with his stewardship. And this word stewardship, I want to focus in on a little bit because it's key to understanding what he's talking about here. Okay, this word stewardship is translated from this Greek word, which is oikonomia, if I'm pronouncing that right, and I think I am, which means the management of a household or of household affairs, specifically the management, oversight, administration of another's property. And what I want to focus in on is this idea of a household or of household affairs. Because this is all about the household of God. As I told you earlier, that that was going to be key in understanding this. And so when Paul is talking about his stewardship, he's talking about the management of God's household, this responsibility that's been given to him to take part in that stewardship and in that ministry. He uses this word two other times in the book of Ephesians. The first is in chapter one, verse seven through ten There's no difference in this word and the word that's translated as stewardship over here. So the translators of the ESV, at least, and many other places, translate this as plan in chapter 1. But here it's translated as stewardship. And those words are interchangeable. Paul could easily have said, assuming that you have heard of the plan of God's grace that was given to me for you. But it's a stewardship of that plan. It's Paul's care and his responsibility in executing that plan on behalf of God, for his household. And that's key in understanding why we shouldn't be discouraged. He says in verse number 8 of chapter 3, that we're going to get into more detail next time, but he says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan, same Greek word, of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Same word, translated as plan. And he, Paul is really, in all honesty, he's saying the same thing here in verses 8 and 9 that he's saying here in verse 2. He's talking about this stewardship of grace. And he's saying that this stewardship or this plan was given into my care, into my, to my hands to execute on God's behalf. And he said it's a stewardship of grace. It's God's grace. Just as he says here, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles. That's given to me for you. That's what he's talking about. He's saying the same thing again, just in more detail. But it's important for us to understand this. Paul considered this a stewardship of grace. This wasn't something that was forced upon him against his will. It wasn't something that he looked at as a burden that he didn't really want to deal with, but he had to. This was something that he considered to be a gift. This was given to me by God. Through his grace, it's a result of God's grace that I have this stewardship. And I don't look at it as something that I wish I didn't have. I look at it as something that I'm thankful and blessed to be a part of. Because it's for your glory. It's for your salvation. It's so that the ultimate purpose of God can be fulfilled through me and through the church. And he says, don't lose heart. I want you to know this is God's plan. So how do we discern this mystery that he's talking about? And what's the process that Paul goes through to try to expound upon this and to show them that they shouldn't be discouraged because of what he is suffering on their behalf? First of all, let's note the stewardship. He's going to dig more into that here. But he's making it very personal for himself at this point now. And Paul isn't saying anything in this chapter that he really hasn't already said in terms of the, the concepts and what he's gone through. He's in some ways being repetitive, I think, just so that they will understand. But now he's making it very personal. If we back up to chapter 2, he says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints, members, again, of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. But he's speaking in general terms. And when I say general terms, I don't mean in the vague sense. It's not vague, but what it is is it's it's all-encompassing. It's encompassing the whole household of God. It's encompassing all the apostles and the prophets. And what he's doing now, he's bringing it down to his personal stewardship, his personal ministry, and and his relationship specifically with the Gentiles at Ephesus. And so he says in verse 3, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And so he's bringing it to him personally in relationship to the Gentiles that he's writing to at Ephesus. And he's doing them to show that, again, this is the stewardship that I've been given and don't lose heart because of this. And so he talks about how it was revealed to him, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. How did Paul receive the knowledge of this so-called mystery that he's talking about? How was it given to him? what well, was given to him by revelation. We read in Acts chapter 26. Paul is recounting his own conversion and as Jesus appears to Paul and talks to him, listen to what he says. He says, "Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose." What was the purpose that Jesus has appeared to Paul for? To appoint you as a servant and a witness. A witness to what? To the things in which you have seen me, seen me and to those things in which I will appear. To you. So what is Jesus saying here? Listen, I've appeared to you for this purpose. You're going to be a servant. You're going to be a witness. And you're going to be a witness to the things that you've already seen. And you're going to be a witness also to those things in which I will appear to you. What does that mean? That means that later on, Jesus Christ is going to appear to Paul again, and he's going to teach him. And he's going to reveal the mystery to him, reveal the gospel to him, reveal the plan, the household plan of God. To Paul personally. Paul didn't learn this from any other people. He didn't learn it from the, the other apostles. They don't have an annual apostle powwow where they all get together and they say, hey, this year we need to teach Paul about the mystery. That's not what they did. He didn't read it in a book. He was directly given this information from Jesus Christ. And that's important to the church at Ephesus. It's important to you and I for what he says next. Because he says, as I have written briefly, and he's referring to some of the previous things that he talked about in the book of Ephesians. But he says, as I have written, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. It's all great that Paul got revelation from Jesus, but what about the rest of of us Christians? What are we supposed to do? The church at Ephesus, how are they supposed to know and perceive the inside of the mystery? Paul said, it's very simple. You read what I'm writing to you. I've received this from Revelation from Jesus, and I'm writing it down. And guess what? You can read it. You know, in chapter 1, when he prayed that prayer for them, for them to have their, their eyes opened, the spiritual eyes opened, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We talked about how that was, there wasn't anything miraculous or supernatural about this concept. He wasn't praying that Jesus would appear to each one of them and give him the same revelation that he gave Paul. What he was praying for is that you will be open and ready and willing to hear the Word of God through my writings. In the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know. How are they going to know? How are they going to know what is the hope to which He's called you? How are they going to know what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? How are they going to know about the immeasurable power that God had directed toward them that believe? Because Paul was writing it down. He said, when you read what I write to you, you can perceive my insight. He knew that this miraculous revelation wasn't going to happen for everybody. And that's why Paul, that's why the other writers of the New Testament wrote them down. So that now we have the fully revealed Word of God in our hands today if you're waiting for some miraculous revelation in your own life, if you're waiting for Jesus to appear to you, if you're waiting for an angel to appear to you, if you're waiting to have a dream that tells you what you need to do to your life, might I suggest to you that you don't hold your breath because you're going to be waiting the rest of your life when it's already right here. Pick it up and read it. That's what Paul told the church at Ephesus to do, and that's what we To be doing today, God's mystery was revealed to Paul. Paul wrote it down. We read it, we perceive and understand it's that simple, it's not complicated. And speaking of being not complicated, what do you think of when you see the word mystery? Paul talks about this mystery of Christ. What are we talking about here? Are we talking about something that's difficult to understand and it's complex and complicated? Only somebody with a doctorate in divinity, only smart people can understand this. I hope that's not the case because I'm not a smart people. I said that on purpose, Nancy. I'm not a smart person. And what Paul is revealing to us is not complicated. And he's going to tell us exactly what he means by mystery. He says, The mystery of Christ, which was not made known, to the sons of men and other generations that has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That's all we're talking about here. We're talking about the revealing of information that had been hidden or partially hidden in the past. And it's funny because I read several commentaries as I was going through this study, and almost without fail, the commentator would say, this isn't like the mystery you think about when you read a mystery novel or watch a mystery movie. And maybe I'm way off base, and maybe I need to check myself, but I think that's exactly what this is like. And I don't—maybe you can set me straight if I'm wrong, but, you know, think about when you read a mystery novel. I've done that before. And as I go through the early chapters of that mystery novel, I know the author is laying breadcrumbs. I know the author is giving me clues and, and, and foreshadowing. I'm just not smart enough to see it at the time. But when I get to the end of that novel— Guess what? I have all the information. And I'll go, oh, I see. I know what they were doing now. And if I go back and read that book again, guess what I'm going to see? I'm going to notice the breadcrumbs. I'm going to notice the clues. Because I've got all the information now. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about here. It's not something complicated. It's simply information that was not made known in the past and has now been made known in the present. And we read about this concept in the book of Daniel, chapter 8. Uh, Brother Carey the other night, alluded to the fact that we're going to be going through the book of Revelation, hopefully at some point this time, uh, at some time this year. Uh, we're hoping that happens. But when and if that happens, we will be talking quite a bit about the book of Daniel and how it relates to Revelation. And part of that process is what Daniel sealed, John revealed in the book of Revelation In Daniel chapter 8, specifically, Daniel has been witnessing this vision that God is giving him. And this vision relates to the earthly kingdoms that would follow Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome. And specifically in chapter 8, at the end towards here where he makes this statement, he had been witnessing uh, the, the vision about Greece and how Greece would rise and fall. In verse number 26, it says, "...the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true." But listen to what he's told. But seal up the vision, for it refers to many days from now. Daniel was told to seal up the words of the vision. In other words, he was told to write it down, but he said, seal it up. Don't worry about it now. Why? Because it happens many days from now. And as it turns out, many hundreds of years from now. Why was he not to worry about it? Because, Daniel, you can't do anything about it. You're not even going to witness these events. This isn't for you. This is for God's people down the road. So seal it up. And look at what he says in verse 27. I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and I did not understand it. Daniel didn't understand the vision. Probably never did. And that was okay because he didn't need to. But you know what? Now what we can do? We can read through history. We can read through secular history, history, the writings of, of Josephus and other historical writers, and we can see what happens with the rise and fall of the Medes and the Persians, the rise and fall of Alexander the Great in in Greece, the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And what we can do is we can lay that alongside the prophecies we read about in the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, and we can have the mystery revealed to us. Because it's not hidden anymore. It's now been revealed. And that's exactly what Paul was talking about. We want to make sure, though, we don't misunderstand what he's saying here. Because just to skip ahead a little bit, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. That's the mystery, that the Gentiles are saved in the church. But what is Paul saying here? Is he saying that the the Jews, the writers of the Old Testament, had no idea that the Gentiles were going to be saved? That's not what he's saying. Look at how he words this. The mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. If you just read through this and say, well, it wasn't revealed uh, to to men in other generations, but it's now been revealed. You might come away with the idea that the the Jews had no idea that the Gentiles were going to be saved. But he's not saying that. He's saying this mystery has not been revealed in the past as it has now been revealed. In other words, in its fullness, in its completeness, in its clarity as to how the Gentiles would be saved. And we could read multiple scriptures that talk about it, but we're just going to read one today. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6. This is God speaking to Isaiah, and he says, It is too light a thing. In other words, it's not enough, Isaiah. It's too it's not significant enough that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It's not enough that just Israel is saved. What does he say? I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah, it's not enough just for the chosen people of Israel to be saved. I want them all. I want all the people. I want everyone to come to me and receive salvation. And any Jew worth his salt would know this passage and know what it means. Surely they could understand this means that the Gentiles are going to be saved. And there are more passages we could read this morning that talk about that. But let's understand this. It wasn't hidden from the Jews that the Gentiles would be saved. What was hidden was the manner in which that would happen and how that would relate to their own salvation. And he clearly talks about that in the next verses. This, the mystery of Christ, which was not made known. What was the mystery? He just comes out and says it in verse 6. This mystery is, he's not trying to hide it. He's not trying to be mysterious. This mystery is that the Gentiles are what? They're fellow heirs. They're members of the same body. They're partakers of the promise of Christ. I don't know how I lost. That should be highlighted in purple, but it's not for some reason. (laughs) Partakers of the promise in Christ. And I think that is what really riled up the Jews. I think that's what really got them to thinking about, wait a minute. We understood that maybe God was going to save the Gentiles. But are you telling me that they're no different than I am? That they're fellow heirs, members of the same body? They're partakers of the promise. What promise are they talking about? We're talking about the promise that God made to Abraham back in Genesis 12. And he said, I will make of you a great nation. and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the Gentiles, and that's the Jews. And I think that's what really got them been out of shape when it came to the Gentiles. Not that the Gentiles were saved, but God was lumping them all together into one household. That God was saying, Guess what, Jews? You're no different from them, and they're no different from you. And so Paul talks about the, the same mystery. He doesn't call it a mystery. In the book of Galatians, but he talks about the same thing in verse, chapter 3, verse 7 of Galatians. Know then, listen to what he's saying. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Can you imagine being a Jew and reading this phrase? It is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And if I can just pretend to be a Jew for a second, wait a minute. I'm the son of Abraham because I'm of his lineage. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, who was called Israel. And he begat Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. I hope I didn't miss him. If my kids, my kids will let me know if I miss one of those. But if I'm if I'm a Jew, if I'm a son of Abraham, it's because I'm a I'm of Abraham's lineage, right? No. Paul is saying through the Spirit, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Your Judaism means nothing with regard to being a son of Abraham. And the Scripture foreseeing, what did the Scripture foresee? That God would justify the Gentiles. How's God going to justify the Gentiles? Well, as a Jew, I might say, well, they're going to have to become Jews, right? They're going to they're have to, uh, the, the men are going to have to be circumcised. Uh, they're going to have to become proselytes. They're going to have to start observing the Sabbath, They're going to have to start obeying the laws of Moses. Uh, They're going to have to quit eating bacon and catfish. They're going to have to become Jews, right? Nope. God would justify the Gentiles by faith in Jesus. This is turning their world upside down. Now their Judaism means nothing. And so because of that, God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. There's the first gospel sermon, if you want to call it that. God preached the gospel to Abraham. He was, when he made this promise to Abraham, he was preaching the gospel and showing that Jew and Gentile alike were gonna be saved not because of their Judaism, but because of their faith in Christ. And that's how it all comes together. And so he said, in you, all the nations, Jew and Gentile, will be blessed. So then that is those who are of faith that are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. It's all been turned upside down in their world, and that's why the Jews didn't like the Gentiles coming in. It wasn't because God was saving Gentiles. I think the Jews had probably reconciled themselves to that fact that God would save the Gentiles. What really got on their nerves was, I'm no longer special. I'm no longer God's chosen people, but these Jews are just the same as me. And they were all brought into one household together. And Paul was a steward by grace, of that household. Now, before we close, I want to just say this. We've mentioned this every time, and maybe you thought you were getting out of it this time, but you're not. When God told Abraham and you, shall all the nations be blessed, was he talking about Abraham himself? Am I saved because of Abraham? Abraham was a good man, but he made some mistakes, didn't he? And in all honesty, I don't want to entrust my salvation to Abraham And God wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, because of you, Abraham, all nations will be blessed, all nations will be saved. What he was saying is, in your lineage, in your seed, Jesus Christ, who will be born as a descendant of yours, in him, the nations will be blessed. And as Paul has hammered home all throughout the book of Ephesians, and we've talked about it every single time, how he's always saying, in Christ, in Jesus, in him, in the beloved, and he's saying it here too. This amazing mystery that God has revealed, the mystery of Christ, the gospel, the fact that Jew and Gentile will be brought together and be made fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise that God made to Abraham. It happens in Christ, in no other place, in no other person. It's only in him. And so now the mystery has been fully revealed. And you and I can perceive Paul's insight into it. What does it teach you and I? what do we get out of this? Well, first of all, we understand not to lose heart. You know, Brother Kerry prayed in his prayer this morning about persecution that our brethren and other nations face. And, you know, I know that sometimes we look at some of the things we've endured and maybe we can call that persecution. Maybe it's a stretch. I don't know. As I look out onto the, like the political landscape and the, the things happening in our nation right now, you know, wisdom, a little bit of wisdom that I've received in almost 46 years and just knowing how things go and reading the scriptures, maybe some of that persecution is heading our way. I don't know. I'm not making any prophecy or prediction about that. would not dare to presume to do that. But regardless, if that happens, if we or the people that we love eventually are persecuted, put in prison, suffer for the cause of Christ, become a prisoner of Christ Jesus, That is not something to lose heart over. Indeed, we can look at that and know that is the plan of God. That's his household plan. That is something that we can rejoice in and take comfort in to know that the gospel is being preached, that souls are being saved, that God is being glorified. And don't lose heart over that, but rather be encouraged that the gospel is being preached. We have the fully revealed mystery. It's not a mystery to you and I. We've, we've got to the end of the book. We know how the story ends. We know what we can have in Christ Jesus. And so what do we need to do with that? We need to read it, and we need to understand it and perceive the insight that the writers of the New Testament and the Old Testament had into the mystery of Christ. This is the story of Jesus. You know, I've got a stack of books on my bookshelf at home in drawers. <laughs> Who knows how many different places I know some of you can relate to this. A friend says, hey, you need to read this book. And maybe it's a work of fiction. Maybe it's some kind of political book, nonfiction or history. Or maybe it's a a religious book, Christian book that somebody's written. You need to read this. And maybe I'll go and I'll open the book and I'll read a couple of chapters. And then it sits on my shelf. And I don't ever touch it again. We can't afford to do that with this book. We can't afford to let this book sit on the shelf. Everybody in this room has a Bible. If you don't have a Bible in this room, please come see me after church and we'll get you a Bible. Everyone has a Bible and can have one. If you have a smartphone, you can download it for free on your smartphone. If you have a computer, you can get to it by downloading it or going to some website that has the Bible. And we cannot afford to let this thing collect dust, either real dust or virtual dust. Because within it, the mystery of Christ is revealed. This book is about the story of Jesus. The whole book. It's about the story of God's plan for his household. But if we don't read it, we can't understand it. And what a blessing we have. That we can read this and we can obey the gospel. That gospel that God preached to Abraham when he made that promise. That gospel that Paul was preaching To the church at Ephesus, that he preached to the church at Galatia, that he preached to the church at Philippi, that he preached every single place he went. Obey the gospel. It's only found in Christ. And the only way to get into Christ is through the gospel. And Paul said in Galatians, as many of us have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. If you want to be in Christ, if you want to put on Christ, the only way to do that is through the waters of baptism, through faith in the working of God. And be a part of that stewardship. Partake in the stewardship of grace that Paul had. You know, Paul made it very personal for himself as we talked about. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles. He was arrested because he was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. But you know, you and I need to take part in his stewardship as well. We can't just look at the scriptures and say, well, that was just Paul's job. Or that was the other apostle's job. Or that's the elder's job. That's the evangelist's job. Each one of us is a member of the household of God. And as such, we are all partakers in the stewardship, God's plan for his household. And we need to be executing that plan. And I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel. Maybe you've never submitted to Christ in the waters of baptism. What are you waiting for? All of this you can be a part of. The forgiveness of sins, the blessings of being part of God's family and His household. Take the opportunity right now to repent of your sin, to confess Jesus Christ as the Son of God and be buried with Him in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life as Paul says in Romans chapter 6. Become a member of the family of God and take part in the stewardship of of sharing that gospel with everyone that we can. If you want to do that, if you need the prayers of the church, please come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing.